പോളണ്ടിൽ എന്ത് സംഭവിച്ചു പോളണ്ടിനെ പറ്റി നീ ഒരക്ഷരം മിണ്ടരുത് Hi Harsha. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. We're, we're going to dip into something that theoretically should be a lot of fun, a series on action films in Malayalam cinema. I was looking forward to doing this series of movies. We are coming off heavier topics, discussing them, watching some movies and as you said, it's been uh, you know, a non-stop parade of dark fahad fossil movies. So <laughs> I was looking forward to watching, you know, revisiting some of these movies that were a little bit fun um because, you know, most of them were like super plot heavy and talking about action in Malayalam movies. Yeah, and unfortunately we're because of me we're restricted to what we can find in English. So our choices are not necessarily what we might consider the best films, although I do think they 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 illustrate some aspects of what goes into a typical action film and what might be a typical Malayalam action film but before we get into that um you said you wanted to talk about a couple of things that had come out in the or a couple of pieces that had come out in the news this week about intimacy coordinators in yeah. indian films you know i was okay with saving this uh discussion for after we discuss some action movies as well but uh the intimacy coordinator is you know is the person who basically it seems looks over the scripts uh, picks out where the director and they will probably go over and pick out the moments of you know nudity or kissing or sexual intimacy or in some cases sexual violence and they will discuss with the performers what their um boundaries are what you know whether they have some no touch areas what what is okay being touched and all of that is spelled out pretty clearly in what they're doing and you know the contract is you know they're involved with uh, letting the performer know that their boundaries will always be respected even if you know they've signed a contract saying yeah I'm uh, okay with nudity but or you know i'm okay with uh doing a sex scene but then they realize they don't like to be touched in some place that consent is always respected at every step of the process and make sure the director is respect respects that as well and that there is no pressure this is something that we hear about in the indian film industry is that actresses are constantly pressured to show a little bit more skin or or do some scenes that they probably weren't ready for or comfortable with. I mean we're talking about a lot of these actresses are very very young. We we you know like until very recently we didn't have a lot of women with a, <laughs> like degrees coming in. So they were starting in their teens and they were doing pretty intimate scenes. I mean Indian cinema being what it is, they're not doing hardcore sex scenes but they are doing you know there's a lot of touching and there's a lot of especially in dance in songs you know there's a lot of hugging around the chest area and like things like that that a young person i mean certainly like any teenager would find uncomfortable uh, let alone like somebody who is 16 and being pressured by her mom to 
B-movies to support their family. Intimacy coordinating is something that came into being through this theater. You know, stage productions use them a lot, which makes sense because you're doing stuff live and, you know, there's not a lot of time to break character and uh, negotiate uh, what is happening when you're in front of a live audience. But it's it's been coming into films in the West uh, since 2017. The story is that Emily Mead, who was an actress in um, The Deuce, which was a show on HBO, heard about the allegations against James Franco that he was known for violating consent in film shoots with acting students that he trained, and that she wanted some acknowledgement that even if the show is going forward, even even if HBO isn't going to fire him, that there there's an acknowledgement. So she was the first person to ask for a intimacy coordinator, as far as we know, in Hollywood uh, film and television production. And that person, her name is, last name is Rodice, uh, Alicia Rodice. And she's kind of become HBO's in-house intimacy coordinator now. And and I know Netflix has one to Ito O'Brien. So it, it's slowly like these big production houses have uh, in-house intimacy coordinator. And they've been, as they've been doing this for film and television, these two especially, O'Brien and Rodice, have been creating a culture of uh, a new profession, basically, for film and television, uh, which is the intimacy coordinator and the intimacy director, which is basically like a stunt choreographer or a dance choreographer is what the intimacy director does for intimacy scenes. And in India, we've ha- uh, they've, there's been two now who have been trained, and that's what these new articles were about, these two women who are kind of pioneering this industry in India. Their names are Jayalakshmi Sundaration, who has worked as a costume designer in the past in, in film industry, and Asta Khanna. So it's it's been really interesting to see this new profession come, and, and obviously the fact that most of these intimacy coordinators are women. Because, I, I mean, theoretically, there's no issue with a man doing... Uh, intimacy coordinating but it seems like a lot of the just because of the world and the patriarchal uh, you know society that we live in and and the film industry being controlled by men it's been really interesting to see that most of the negotiation is you know intimacy coordinators are women and also that we're not you know Asa kind of says the most the hardest person to do intimacy coordination for is a heterosexual man because even he minimizes any trauma he has. And it's the intimacy coordinator's job to make sure that he knows that it's okay to do enforce his own boundaries. But certainly this is this is coming out that the articles talked about it definitely coming out of the Me Too movement. Although I think I think some of it no, if it's 2017, it probably doesn't predate it. But I mean, sure, certainly the stories of issues have cir- circulated for a long time. But it's it's on some level, it does make sense to me that it's women stepping into this profession because women have the most vested interest in this. I mean, yes, they you know men do have can have similar types of issues around around boundaries and consent. But it's it's always been more of an issue for women. Absolutely, and 
I, you saw me tweet to respond to one of the articles that asked Gotham and what, whether he would engage an intimacy coordinator. And he said, I don't feel the need for such things. Uh, my actors are very comfortable with me. Well, A, I believe Gotham and has a foot fetish because in all his movies, he spends a lot of time focusing on feet, our own little Quentin Tarantino in that case. But... You know, there's so there's just like an absolute lack of acknowledgement that of what this job actually entails, and the and the fact that the women he's working with and the men might need somebody who is not the all powerful director to negotiate these scenes with, especially if you're talking about people who are starting out in the industry. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's definitely it, it comes down to you know issues of of who has the power on this shoot, and if you're a newer actor, and not wanting to make waves, you might not tell the director that you have some issues around what what he's asking for, and you might be perfectly willing to do what he's asking for as long as you were comfortable with the with you know issues of consent and boundaries and it it's i mean you know it seems obvious to me but you know i i guess i'm biased in this in this instance but it seems obvious to me that having someone to to help navigate those power issues on a shoot could be really helpful one concern of mine as we're going through this is that <laughs> the intimacy coordinator hbo hired was to make up for the fact that they were still employing james franco and we don't want this to be used as sort of a fig leaf to, to cover up, you know, allow men who have a history of sexual violence or harassment in some way to keep working on film and television sets. But I like to think that, you know, The Deuce was a terrible t- television series. It was by David Simon, the, the man who did The Wire. But I found, I mean, James Franco is not entertaining enough of an actor. He was in a completely separate series than the rest of the cast. And he was playing twins. It was very strange. So I'm really glad that show is no longer airing, but also that this has kicked off a trend. And, you know, one of the comments in one of these articles was from Ramaka Lingal. You know, she's done a fair share of her own intimacy scenes in films and... I'm specifically thinking about the sexual assault scenes in 22 Female Gotem. And those things, they're, they're scenes of violence, but you know they don't use a fight choreographer for some reason. Because they actually, you know, what most scenes of violence would use a fight choreographer. But because it's sexual violence, nobody thinks to use a fight choreographer. And one of the things that the intimacy coordinating guidelines that these uh, two ladies in Hollywood have written up is that intimacy coordination is great and it needs to happen in scenes of sexual violence. But also, it, this it could benefit from coordinating with a fight choreographer to, to do what they do, which is focus on the violence part of this. And so, yeah, I think that kind of takes us to our action movies, which require a lot of uh, stunt coordination. That's why I wanted to open with it because I was thinking it, it was interesting to think about this in terms of, of you know getting into action films because I think where you're going to find the most problematic stuff in terms of consent and boundaries are in action films. I think we'll see some of that in at least one of the films today. So uh, these movies were all over the board. These set of four, we are going to talk about, shall I introduce them? 
please. We chose in release order, we're going to talk about Irivadam Nutanda, the Mohanlal film, Yodha, the Mohanlal film, Gaja Manikim, the Mamuti film, and The Great Father, a Mamuti film. So this is our Mamuti and Mohanlal action movie episode. I will say that <laughs> Irivadam Nutanda and The Great Father are not great action movies, in my opinion. And I don't know if there's something about action movies also needing to be humorous for them to be good action movies. Both Irivadam Nutanda and um, Great Father, I think, are thrillers. You know, Irivadam Nutanda is also a gangster film. But we can get into it. So what movie do you want to talk about first? I started with Irivadam Nutanda. And that one threw me for a loop a little bit. And that's when I like I dumped the the Wikipedia definition of action movies because I went, is this really an action movie? You know, Wikipedia the P- Wikipedia definition actually really helped me with my thinking around these four films, which are all kind of really different. You know, essentially it says you know an action film is a film genre in which the protagonist or protagonists are thrust into a series of events that typically include violence, extended fighting, physical feats, rescues, and frantic chases. They feature a mostly resourceful hero struggling against incredible odds, can include life-threatening situations. But I can see that for Irupatam Nutanda, I, I, now having read that, I can kind of see, I mean, I think the level of risk here is probably less than in a lot of action films. I mean, it, it's more capery than full-on action but I can see that so um, why don't you summarize what the film's about and then we can get into it a little bit. Irivadam Nutanda is about smugglers in Kerala in the 1980s. Mohanlal plays Sagar alias Jackie. You will have to explain to me later why he needs an alias. This is the this is the I mean this is a character that Mohanlal will take through a number of other films as well. So it is we uh, to be honest I have no idea why he needs an alias, but there it is. So he runs his smuggling business, which is not drug smuggling. It's uh, for all those things luxuries that you couldn't get in India in the pre-economic liberalization period, which I kind of always try to put as a marker when we're talking about uh, Malayalam movies, because there's a significant cultural difference in the movies from the pre-liberalization period and the post-liberalization period. And Mohanlal is, is clearly at the beginning, he's smuggling gold. But there is there is a, a scene with Mamukoya later on where he is smuggling things from the gulf like soaps and perfumes and I, I actually I have to admit here that although the copy on Eros now has subtitles they are mistimed for the bulk of the film by about half an hour so <laughs> I, I had to sort of like Irvish's character I was like what's she in jail for and then about a half hour later I found out why she was in jail anyway aside but that is as you pointed out it's it's on the one hand, gold. On the other hand, goods from the Gulf that people want. And the the kicker comes, he's working with a character played by Suresh Gopi, who's the son of uh, Kerala chief minister. And Suresh Gopi's character wants to get into drug smuggling. And for Sagar, alias Jackie, that is a moral line. 
And that causes sort of the split between the two characters. And that's actually when we really start to get into some of the stuff that really is the meat of an action film. I have mentioned to you and maybe in the podcast that Sarah Gogu is my childhood crush. And I was like, even in this movie, I was like, he's so handsome. He's such a friend. <laughs> so that was my first reaction. And the second is when Mohanla <laughs> said, narcotics is a dirty business. <laughs> I was like, I've heard that line so many times, but I actually didn't know the movie it came from. And that was in English too. So it was like, I got that. Bam. <laughs> I did a little clap at a point to get the screen. I was like, there it is. <laughs> Well, this is a theme that comes up. I've seen this in other action movies too that, that go around smuggling, that drugs are the line. I think that's because most middle class families have some experience of buying smuggled goods. If you think about Irvadan Lutanda in some ways as, if you think about it as Malik, but in the time it's actually happening, you know, there's threads, I mean, you're talking about like the same part, like Bima Bali, that area of Trivandrum where a lot of the smuggled goods are sold. And you're talking about these fishing communities. When they're talking about smuggled goods coming, they use the term chagaya, which is in uh, Malayalam is a word for when a gang of fish come up on shore and they're so easy to like capture and uh, and get profit from or you know eat the fish doesn't mamu koya's character say something uh, along those lines too he, yeah he talks about the when he t- when he says the smuggled goods are ready to come in he calls it the chagara so th- that's the code they use for it you know we're talking about fisher folk we're talking about that same exact community so, so if you've seen Malik and you want to see where all this originated, um, there have been movies made about that, that smuggling operation in the past as well. There, there are significant differences, one being the caste and community of the smuggling gang being much more mainstream. In Malik, it's famously because they're kind of a subaltern Muslim Christian fishing community, you know. In Irvadam Nutanda, Mohanlal is a foreigner to that community. He He's from a traditional Tarawada, it looks like an higher Tarawada, from a village with a very proper mom who reads the Ramayanam every day. But somehow he's ended up uh, working with this community on his smuggling operation. That's the big difference, but I think there's definitely an aspect of spiritual successor in Malik to this movie. Definitely, because of the smuggling scenes. And, and, I, and, and again, like, I come at this like, how is this different from my perspective? And when I hear smuggling, when I heard smuggling in Malik particularly, I thought it was going to be illicit goods, perfume. <laughs> but it, but and, and the joke in Malik is it's a fishing community, so they need the perfume to cover up the smell of the, the fish. And I don't mean that in an offensive way, because I come from a, on my dad's side from a fisher family. So I know what this is like. I actually, I mean, I, w- I was actually really sad that the subtitling was off on this because I do like this film. It, it, it's a little bit run of the mill now, maybe. And it's not high on action up to a point. We have that idea of the hero being resourceful, like right in the opening scene where he's driving the, the blue Maruti car and they're, the police are looking for them because they've got the gold which they cleverly hide inside the spare tire. And they've got the car tripped out to, to look like a rally car and they infiltrate a rally to 
you know, to look like part of the rally to get away with the gold. So, you know, we've got this clever, resourceful hero doing clever things. Yes, I agree that, you know, as I said, I think this is more of a gangster film because a lot of this movie, except maybe in the last, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes, I feel like could have happened on a stage. I got a lot of information from the dialogue and they're not giving you necessarily exposition in the dialogue, but you'll have random bits of information just thrown in in dialogues that you're, you are supposed to connect. In that way, this is a very complex film and it is very much a, a precursor to the kind of movies that we are seeing in 2020, 2021. You gotta be a very keen viewer to pick up on some of the information and how the political nexus ties into the smuggling activity to really pick up on those things and there aren't really any 100% good characters except maybe Jackie's mother in that everybody's kind of you know working their angle because of their own individual motivations it's a very complex film compared to some of the other action movies that we're going to be talking about where the motivations are a little bit more straightforward yeah, I wrote in my notes that this was a contemplative action film. Like it really was more about the brain stuff than the body stuff. And at times, I guess maybe the, they didn't have the budget for anything more intricate either because some of the things they're trying to shoot as action scenes are really like tight angles and left more to your imagination than anything else. Like stuff I could shoot on my iPhone if I really wanted to make an action film. And I don't mean that to denigrate the film, but go in with those kinds of expectations that we're looking at action film in a kind of a niche that is maybe very different from what we think of as action film today. Actually, maybe that's a good time to go to The Good Father because those are the two extremes. Sorry, The Great Father. Uh, the one point I wanted to make is that the one thing I noticed with this movie, just the way I did with Sukumo Devi, is the editing is all over the place. Things are just cut in and cut out, and there isn't a lot of continuity. And I think that specifically has to do with the technology available in that era. And there isn't a lot of soft transitions into the next scene, and, and dialogue is just thrown in, however. We didn't find out why Urvashi's character was in jail. She is Augers lover until sort of the last 25 minutes or so of the movie and then you know i had assumed she was part of the smuggling operation in some way because her mother lives in that community and that's why she ended up going to jail for smuggling but no she actually uh, went to jail for manslaughter uh, that kind of is a through line throughout the movie that she's kind of the single ray of hope for Zagar that in a very typical 1980s male movie fashion, it doesn't end up coming to fruition. Oddly, I mean, it was, I, I actually liked that. I, I'm reminding people that we're spoiling, we've already spoiled all over the place. But I thought the ending was kind of a nice touch because we have Sagar alias Jackie going to prison and crossing with Urvashi's character as she's coming out of prison. Like, it's so poetic. And yeah, no, I, I actually, you know, you know that meme that goes, ooh, poetic cinema? <laughs> <laughs> when that scene came on, I was like, poetic cinema. Anybody listening, <laughs> Harsha is, has, her, has her hand to her forehead, like, oi. <laughs> 
But it is, I mean, it's a little, it's a little corny, but it was also a nice time. I enjoyed it. They were thinking through some of these things. Yes. And, you know, we have to talk about Ambiga's character, who is a journalist who is the bookend for this movie, really, because she's a journalist writing about underworld operations in Kerala and their ties to politics. And she's very interested in Sagar, alias Jackie. I guess she's she's the person who writes that in the article. And that's how we, as a minority population, get the term Sagar, alias Jackie. And it's as yet unclear to me why he has two names and, like, people just call him both. Well, I mean, clearly, I mean, his mother calls him Sagar, and in the smuggling community, he's Jackie. So, I mean, I guess at a stretch, we can say that he's trying to keep those two parts of his life separate. But then we see the Suresh Gobi refer to him as Sagar to his father. And uh, I was like, he's, that's not separate then. Prior to this, of course, I did watch Sagar alias Jackie Reloaded, the 2009 movie by... I'm going to leave it. And I only did it because I'm a big, big B fan. So I thought Sagar's Jackie was going to be as good as Big B. It wasn't. But I'm glad I watched it for Shovana. And I wish that movie had actually done some work of picking up where these characters ended up from this movie. Because this was such a nice contemplative little action movie. And Sagar's Jackie Reloaded didn't have any of that contemplation. It's like if you're going to have a contemplative action movie, it's going to have to come out of Malayan cinema. That's true. Instead, what Sagar as Jackie ended up being was a lot of slow motion shots of Mohanla walking around, which can take us to the great father. <laughs> Speaking of slow motion shots of people walking around. Let's be honest. We're not going to recommend this film based on both our reactions on Twitter. Anyway, let, let's, let me start with a bit of a summary. It's essentially a serial killer, but we have Mamuti playing David Nainan, and who is father to a, a young girl, Sarah, played by Annika. And it's setting up dad as a superhero, and Sarah worships her father. And, you know, it opens with her regaling. I, and in some ways it reminded me a little bit of Ashikabu's film, Daddy Cool, where the child regales schoolmates with the exploits of this wonderful father. I don't know if that was going to be a bit of a callback to that or not, or it, like, I don't know. But it, it that was something that went, oh, that's like this for me. But Sarah ends up as one of the victims of the serial killer, not killed. She ends up. Um, sexually assaulted at a time when both of her parents, her mother's a doctor and her father is a builder and both of them are involved with work events and she's left to return home alone and when her father David returns home he finds her unconscious in an elevator and his first reaction is as this superhero father is to protect his daughter at all costs and the first step is to get her into the house and isolate her from anyone who could know about this. I already have issues with this because I suppose as a parent that is the first thought as I have to somehow protect my child. I had an issue with that too. I disagree that that might be what a parent's instinct is. Well, it, it depends on how we define protect the child. I would want to protect my child, but I would not not take my child to the hospital initially. I would not not get the police involved. 
I mean, I understand, you know, any of us who have watched Indian cinema know what kind of stigma ends up with, you know, women and girls in these kinds of situations. So it's not that we don't know about that. And I'm sure the same stigma exists in terms of like, we know that a lot of women are reticent to report sexual assaults, even in the West, because of a certain stigma that gets attached to all of this. But yeah, I mean, be, how you protect your child is, is, is one thing. And, and this is not the way I would protect my child. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself a little triggered in this conversation. So trigger warning, there, you know, there is a depiction of or references to sexual abuse of children and child rape and things like that. And if that upsets you as it upsets me, th- this is definitely not the movie for you. And I found the way that Mamuti reacted very unnatural. You know, he he didn't immediately see his bloody child and want to take her to a hospital, which is what every parent would do, you know? Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and I think they only did that for the sake of the plot, which was to set up this competition between Mamuti and... Adia's character, Andrew Eppen, the police officer investigating these serial killings. Andrew Eppen is not very sensitive to the actual living child who's left. He's very much a, like a cold, rude police officer who just wants to close the case. And the tension with him and Mamuti is Mamuti is just interested in protecting his child and not making her have to relive this by talking about who did it. And so that, that's the central tension. This is important because I think it speaks to the fact that these issues can be very triggering. To use them as plot devices is a real disservice to the issue. Yeah, but once again, in the, the ten- competition between t- these two men, these two actors who play heroes all the time, once again, we, we lose the agency of the young child we lose the agency of the mother of the child who had the right instincts to take her to the hospital. That you know, at the end they say, you know, when she, nothing, they kept, they keep, they keep saying, like all the adults in her life keep telling her, nothing happened to you, nothing happened to you. When that's clearly not what this child is experiencing. She's experiencing something that, the fear of something that has happened to her, the trauma of what that has happened to her. And the movie concludes after, you know, Momuti has gotten his revenge. It concludes with the, them t- uh, saying that nothing has happened to my child. And if, as an adult, she decides she wants to talk about what has happened to her, then that's up to her. Which I think is a fine way to discuss it. It's a fine way. But in the meantime, you know, they, they show this whole thing of like everybody pressuring the child to be okay instead of letting her be or letting her process the emotions in, in a way that is helpful for her. And it's very painful to watch. And I had a question because, you know, in our systems, some of the things that happened in this film would not be allowed to happen. Like Arya's police officer would not be allowed to waltz into a house and talk to this child with nobody present. He would not be able to manipulate her by getting some kind of social service workers in who, who harass this girl. Like I, I honestly felt ill. Yeah. Are there, 
Are there any protections around these things for children in India? Yes, I don't believe is something a police officer can do is to talk to a child by themselves without a, you know, a child protection officer or, or and a parent present. So, yeah, some of the things that he did in this movie wouldn't be allowed to happen. And and he's very aggressive with her. Like, why are you being aggressive to this young girl? Why? Yeah, see, we're both upset about this film. And in the end, they justify the, his aggression by saying, I have a child, his niece at home as well. I was like, what, you, that would force you to be a little bit more tender towards the child and approach her in a way that, you know, A, approach her legally, but also yeah. approach her in a way that um, respects her as a person and not just somebody who was tortured by this serial rapist. And I have to say, like, I didn't mention that it's directed by Hinifa Deni, who has done the only other f- film I've seen of his is um, the Slav in me, want, the way it's spelled, the Slav in me wants to pronounce it Mikhail, but it's Michael with Niven Pauli. And it's the same kind of very, his films are definitely not my cup of tea. No, um, Catherine, it is Mikhail in Malayalam. Oh, is it? Mike, Michael in Malayalam is Mikhail. Adeni has a definite style in his film. And I think some of the style is probably what we would think of now as an action film. It makes me think a little bit about like Hong Kong action films. I mean, it's not of the quality of a Hong Kong action film, but it's, but Hong Kong action films are very highly choreographed, highly stylized, a lot of mood. And that's what he's trying to, to do in his films. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the style. I think there's some real issues with substance in these films. I have not seen any of his other movies that I can think of, but let me... I've, I've seen Michael, and, and quite honestly, I don't remember any of it. And that was, the, that, was, that was my comment on Twitter was, I thought I hadn't seen The Great Father, and I started watching it, and I went, I have seen this. And I, and I thought, did I see it and stop because I was offended? No, I, I've seen the whole thing because... I had, you know, the flashbacks once I got through it. But obviously these things bother me, the, the, the content of the film bothers me enough that I block it out. So, you know, anyone, anyone looking to these films should be very aware that, to, you know, particularly in The Great Father, that there are themes here that are very sensitive, that are dealt with very insensitively. And I think for me, the... the, the the insensitivity is underlined every time they do a slow motion shot of Mamuti walking away all cool, like a cool guy from any scene with like some rap adjacent music playing. I, there's so much of this movie you could skip through because there's so many slow motion shots of him walking through. And I'm like, why is this happening? Like, why is this child's trauma about this guy walking cool and I know like to the audience that it was being directed to which is the, the Mamudi fans who are in the theater that those are the moments they're supposed to clap and like cheer and stuff but it is extremely manipulative I mean and you're you as a fan if you're there you're probably uh, there to be manipulated but I compared uh, watching this and Irvadam Lutanda who which I feel like have a similar non-actionness to them i would thought to myself you can do this 
movie where you make him seem like the great father, the clever father who solves this mystery in a much more sensitive way. That was Drisham. Yes, that was Drisham as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I have my own issues with Drisham too, but where, once again, you take away the agency of the victim. But I will say, Drisham in its style is a much more sensitive film than The Great Father is. Yeah, but it did strike me how you have these two father figures dealing with terrible events involving their daughters and how they react to it individually because it's very much about the individual hero avenging things and solving things yeah I, and and some of the writing really creeped me out in the great father like like even sarah's closing speech where she talks about her father as her first love <laughs> rob was watching with me and he went ew it's really creepy the sarah, sarah and david's relationship at the start of the movie is really it's too cloying it's too saccharine it's not what you want because Anika Sarandon is actually a great child actress she is she is and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt for a second to just say if you if you have access to the the um the miniseries Queen she is terrific in that Absolutely. She is a great child actress, and especially in something like Queen, where she gets to take center stage. Actually, she and Gotham and have a very good relationship in that in that show where he's her director and, and kind of her mentor. And you can see how she looks up to him in that show. And it could have been, that could have been like the kind of similar relationship that Sarah and David had in this movie. But they like took it over the top it's disgusting did she have a picture of her father in her room did i see that i yes she did yeah i i'm doing my ooh 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 yeah it's the writing is not good the writing is yeah i'm much more in favor of children who think their dads are lame than (laughs) who think their dads are the best and, you know, we get a lot more of dads who are lame. Like in Drisham, I, all the kids, the kids think he's super lame. And, I, and, you know, comparing this to Yoda, which is another one of the films we watched for today, you can deal with kids in a really affectionate way without making it cloying. And it is, and Malayam Cinema has done it so many times. I don't know why they get so weird about these upper middle class kids with their dad who, who like they're obsessed with. I see this in a few movies and I think it's, you know, maybe in Daddy Cool it's like that. I haven't seen Daddy Cool. Bhaskar Darasso was an okay movie in my opinion. It was definitely watchable. In that, poor Anika Surindan has to sing um, a song to her mom called, played by Nain Tara called I Love You Mummy. And wh- I don't know why these mo- movies so go so over the top with the kids' attachment to the parents. We need to talk about why Mamuti loves playing these uh, rape Avengers. Yeah, my least favorite Mamuti ever. As you know, I have a lot of childhood terror associated with the movie Hitler for the same reason. He's not avenging so much as there's like problematic rape content. And I'm not saying that this, these are Mamuti's views or, you know, as these, this movie is produced by Prithiraj and Arya and uh, Santoshivan through the August cinema. I'm not saying these are their views, but I still can't believe that they're making these kind of movies. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should leave it there because that's I, I, that's my exact sentiment too. Like, why? 
you can do something else for the fanboys, really. You can. Actually, let, that's a good segue into Rajamanikam. Because I, I would like to leave Yoda for last. <laughs> for reasons. <laughs> but this is directed by Anwar Rashid, who we know from Ustad Hotel and more, and more recently Trance. But it's a very different, like he had a couple of films there at the beginning of his career, this with um, Mamuti and another with Chota Mumbai um, with Mohanlal, which were really more massy hero entertainer films. So that's, that's how we're sliding into the action film with this one. So I'll let you give the summary because you're much better than that than I am. Rajamanikam is about a, a blended family, basically. There are two stepbrothers and a half-sister from the parents' second marriage. And uh, Mamudi plays Manikim, who his mother has to sort of keep a secret at first in her second marriage. And when the new husband, played by Sai Kumar, finds out about him, he kind of accepts him as part of the family. Um, but there's clearly a lot of tension because he has his own son from a previous marriage and um, the kids don't really get along. And as an adult, Rajamanikam is nowhere uh, around this family until Sai Kumar's character dies and his, his daughter and son end up feuding over the property of their dead father. And his will ends up saying that all his property is going to be controlled by Rajamanikim. His stepson, who kind of arrives as this billionaire from Karnataka, and he kind of steps to putting his family right, basically, through a lot of beating people up. Well, and one of my questions was, is this the first time we see a character like this with Mamuti? Because it really, for me, because I had seen Pokhari Raja before I saw this, and it's a very similar kind of character to that and to Madara Raja, which was the follow-up to Pokhari Raja, where it's Mamuti as kind of a lovable, not educated... He deal he deals in cattle in this film. In Pokhari Raja, he's a gunda. But it's this it's this similar kind of character, and it's it, there is an element of it playing to comedy. You know, when we've discussed that Mamuti does not play, unless he's making an art film. He does not play lower class, lower caste people, typically. If there's, you know, if between Mamudi and Mohalal, that's usually something Mohalal does more often. And I think part of the selling point of this movie was watching Mamuti playing against type. And especially because I, d I don't under, I mean, people say Trivandrum slang is super funny, and as as somebody from Trivandrum, I get it, but also, why is he the only one speaking in Trivandrum slang in this movie when, like, his mom could be as well? And it's just because my own cinema can't take us seriously as, like, a person if you're talking in Trivandrum dialect. But apart from that, since I was a teenager, I would hear that the way you guys speak in Rajamanikam was really funny. And I mean, I don't have a full on Tarandam slang, but I can switch to it if I want to. But that is kind of the USP of this movie. The unique selling point was that uh, watching Mamuti kind of talk in this like very shrill Malayalam dialect. And also his lines from this movie are very famous. I was going to say like the point is playing against type, punch dialogues, I think this would be very recognizable as a typical, like we see this type of film in Tamil cinema, in Telugu cinema, in Hindi cinema. This is where Malayalam cinema has a common ground with other cinema, cinematic traditions in India. This is masala. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I don't I honestly don't have a lot to say about it. I mean, I think if Masala films and you and if you know what you're going to get because, you know, you've got um Manoj Kejayan with his with his red-rimmed eyes and like those the, the, all these little Masala tropes that you will see time and time again. I mean, if you're going to like I actually like Raymond in this film. Yeah, I, this was Raymond coming back to Mariana movies after like maybe a decade or more of staying away from it. And apart from his weird colored hair, I was like, he's so handsome. I totally see why my mom and her generation were crazy about him. And he gets to play sort of the classy straight man to Mamudi's character. And he's the educated one. Like when they when they need someone to be to, to bring the smarts, they turn to him. Yeah, I did wonder what what was with the hair, but I I'm I'm you know in the fandom. Like I I think he's lovely. And you're talking, you know, this movie came out in two thousand five, so we're talking about a very particular period in Malayalam movies. We're not making a lot of high grade movies with complex plots, so. Uh, the fact that this movie stood out, despite it having a very potboiler plot with the hero like uh, getting his family back together to have revenge against this person who's been manipulating things um, and, and basically led to the death of the patriarch of the family. I, I think this movie's very... It's a credit to Anurashid and it's a credit to Mamudi's charm because he really centers this film and he's surrounded by a bunch of actors we don't really see anymore. Manoj Kijayan being one, I know he's, a, I actually looked up his filmography. He's been acting pretty consistently, but I, I, we don't see him in a lot of the new generation movies that maybe get a lot of press. No, and I wish we would because I really like him as an actor. And I think in this film, he's playing a very stereotype role. And I don't think you get a good sense of what he can really do as an actor in this film. One of my frustrations, because I, you know, in looking for what I can find with subtitles and looking ahead to the next couple of episodes as well, what, what can I find with subtitles? The best films that we put on our list, I can't find anywhere. And the worst films like from this this 2000s era are all the ones with subtitles and that boggles my mind like if you're going to I mean I, I like I, I don't know what the reasoning is probably because they want you to pay for the better films <laughs> I would do that give me the better films with subtitles I will pay but uh, but yeah but um, do you have any other thoughts on this film because I don't it does have action Compared to the, yeah. the first two we talked about, it does have a lot more action. As my constant complaint is with Indian cinema, Indian cinema does not know how to do action. And I always fast forward through it. <laughs> Just like you, I'm a big Hong Kong action fan. So I'm not even saying like it, it needs to be like a Hollywood style action. I'm not into the guns and explosions action. I just love how a lot of East Asian cinema does action. This ain't it. But... It's a very enjoyable movie. It's a pop boiler and you get some good actors doing extremely schlocky roles. <laughs> and go for Raymond because he's good. <laughs> yes. And I will say this movie is very cast heavy. It taught, you know, there's a constant cast based insults going on in this movie. And I think I was taken a little aback because we. 
movies these days don't go that far in acknowledging cast. And actually, Irubadam Nutanda also has a lot of cast-based, not a uh, cast-based interactions going on and insults, but not as much as Rajamanikim. Because this is in a border area between Kerala and Tamil Nadu, there's a lot of cast-based insults back and forth in all the action scenes. So that leads us to the last film today. Yoda! Now, I'm going to tell you, when I first started getting into films and I was looking for recommendations, I had a lot of Mohanlal fans say to me, do not watch this film. And I'm going to say that of all the films we watched for today, I think this is my favorite. So Yoda is one of those movies that gets aired all the time on Malayalam TV channels. So I constantly watch Yoda, you know, maybe bits and pieces here and there. But since it released and since till now, it's always been something in front of my eyes at, at, at different parts of the year. And it's a, directed by Sangeet Shivan, brother to Sandor Shivan. Who does the cinematography here, although I don't think it's the best example of his cinematography. And again, we're talking about 92, 93 period. 92, yeah. Yeah, 92. So we're also talking about, you know, things aren't as advanced, but... I, feel, I definitely see a step forward from the, 19, the 1986 movies we've seen. And the music direction, most notably, is by A.R. Rahman. It's his first film that he's done music direction for. And the songs are bopping. Yep. So tell us what it's about. It's about a young llama in Nepal who is this cult of worshippers of some black magic, users they're trying to kidnap him for their own evil purposes to gain more power and he his protector comes in the form of Mohanla who is from Kerala he is escaping from his village because he and his cousin are always at each other's throats and so his mother sends him to Nepal to stay with his uncle and because of mistaken identity and the manipulations of his cousin he ends up on the streets with the little llama Rinpoche Apukatan in this, uh, as Amohla calls him. And they bond and he basically gets drawn into this fight of good versus evil and protecting the young monk from these evildoers. What people have to realize here, and I think this is one of the things that kind of tickles me about this film, this is actually a mashup. It takes heavily from the Eddie Murphy film, The Golden Child. That's the whole plot about the llama and the, and the good versus evil. And near the end, we get Zatoichi, the blind swordsman. Like I, I went, what? Because and with The Golden Child is, I mean, Golden Child is not a great film. With the exception that it really sets up the whole situation with the, with the kidnapping of the, the young llama and they had more of a budget for good versus evil so they had industrial light magic do you know the effects and but essentially it's you know eddie murphy being eddie murphy and it, that part didn't work for me so i don't think in yoda they set up the situation around good and evil and the motivations of the evil characters as well but for me the important part was the relationship between mohanlal and the young boy the other thing that struck me, and we've talked about Mohanlal's face, and you've mentioned about, about his face being incredibly expressive. And I think this is a point, like this film, he is so expressive in this film, and it's really wonderful to watch. Yes, 
I think, the, especially for me, films from this era, and maybe because I was a child when all these movies were coming out, so they were they're kind of imprinted in my mind. These movies are what make Mohanlal Mohanlal to me, the, the, and and engender the kind of affection I have towards his face, and that makes me regret the fact that his face doesn't move anymore. It is movies like Yoda, it's Minaram, it's Manchitatara, and. Uh, regarding the good versus evil, this movie, I didn't know it was inspired by these, those other two movies. I read a lot of fantasy books. It's a very typical fantasy genre, hero's journey type movie. And most of them have that theme of good versus evil. But because it's Malayalam movies, it's scaled out. So all we're really interested in protecting this innocent child. Yeah, because in the, in the original film, The Golden Child... Eddie Murphy spends very little time with the boy. The boy is kidnapped and in the possession of the of the evil sorcerers almost for the whole movie. So this is a real departure where the, the boy escapes and ends up on the streets of Kathmandu at the same time that Monal's character does. And I actually liked that more because I really liked the interaction between the two of them. And the llama in The Golden Child is actually a very sweet child. And this child is also a very sweet child. I think there's two really big highlights in this movie for me. It's like the competition between Mohan and Shreemar. I mean, Parayali is such a good song and uh, it really gets you in the spirit of whatever you're doing. It's that it's that relationship as well as this, the sweetness and comedy of his interactions with the child. He's very joking, but also like very immediately like takes to this child. And the child is very loyal and and uh is very amused by this uh, grown man and his living out in the streets and you know i i think most people remember this movie for the interactions between mohanlal and the child as a great example of how not to make interactions with children saccharine and gross because this you know a grown man and a child living out in the streets could be saccharine and weird but Instead, it's very funny and, you know, lighthearted and their interactions are, because there's also the language barrier, um, the names they come up for with, for each other is, is very sweet. Yeah. And I mean, it's less heavy on action than, you know, that we might think, but it does have that central core of the, the hero, as you mentioned, the hero's quest and the hero, you know, because, I mean, he's literally called the chosen one. That's very heavy in The Golden Child, but it's it's mentioned at the beginning of Yoda, where the, the monks say that there is a, some, a chosen one coming to help in this situation. But, but I really was fascinated when we took this turn into Zatoichi, the blind swordsman, which is like a classic of Japanese cinema, because we have... Mohanal's character, the, the, one of the evil henchmen sorcerer people has a, has a powder and it blinds people. And he throws it at Mohanal, who ends up blinded and then begins training with a martial arts master to learn how to fight and use senses other than his eyes. And, you know, ma magically at the end, his sight. But even, you know, I say that his sight is restored, but the, the movie hangs together because there's a scene right in the beginning where we see someone's blindness being cured, resolved by the monks so they like we know this is a possibility and it doesn't i mean as far-fetched as it is it doesn't seem as far-fetched as it could be yes and 
the funny thing is I don't remember anything. When I watched this movie, I was like, oh, there's this whole part where he gets blind. I didn't even know this because I was all about the interactions with the kid. But actually, that is where a lot of the action part comes in and where you can really call this an action movie. Yeah, where the, where the unfortunate martial arts come in. I know it's like it's like we keep saying if you're if you're a fan of Hong Kong action, you're going to look at this and go, oh, dear. But they're trying. Yes. And I will say uh, Sanji Chivan is the director of this. But it also reminds me of Ananda Badaram, Sando Shivan's movie a lot. Um, you know, uh, he really go, they both really go in on the mystical elements of and black magic and all of that, which I think. Mm, I mean, my cinema does a little bit of, but it has some real fantastical elements that we don't necessarily see as much in my cinema. So I thought that this was that was interesting, and I found the depiction of Nepal fairly respectful for what it was. Uh, everybody's nobody gets called any slurs, which I am always afraid of. And and the golden child is like I. Like Rob and I looked at it and went, well, that's racist. Yeah, there was much more of, of that. Yeah, it was clearly, um, when I was looking at this, I was I was thinking, oh, there's uh, some sensibility in this movie that Nepal is still, I mean, Nepalis are still like us in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, which makes sense, like a lot of Nepal is Hindu, it's a South Asian country, and, and it's treated more like North India than, you know, of, you know, if this movie had been set in like China or something, I feel like it could have gotten a lot more racist if it wanted to. And yeah, it's an enjoyable, fantastical caper and involves a cute kid who is a handsome adult now. I don't know if you've seen him recently, but he's he was in, in some Malayalam movie recently. Did he not play another llama type character? He did, he, he did, I think. He, he played another monk in Eravapati. I, in 2016. Yeah, yeah. He was in a movie with Manisha Kerala in, in Malayalam. That's cool. He's typecast, though. Yeah, now he's typecast as a, as a monk. But, I mean, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize that if people are looking for, you know, older films to really get a chance. I mean, there are lots of them from the 90s with Mohanlal to, to really get a chance to see what he what he was and what he was capable of. Not that we don't, we, I mean, I think we see flashes of it now, but I think I'm rambling. I'm rambling off in a direction. No, I, I agree. If th this is peak Mohanlal. Check it out for peak Mohanlal. If you don't get what all the hype is, you know, after you watch a, a Christian Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> if you're like, you've watched Christian Brothers, like, I don't get I it. I feel like we're fated to talk about Christian Brothers at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of you can't you have to take the good with the bad with <laughs> yeah and i think un unfortunately i think the best Malayalam films aren't the i don't want to say that i don't want to say that aren't the action films but i think well i mean i don't go i don't go to Malayalam film necessarily for the the masala action films if they're done well, I don't mind, but that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm looking for necessarily. Yeah, action isn't a central genre in Malayalam movies. You can find a lot of other genres that you might not find in other Indian film industries in Malayalam cinema, but action isn't one of them. When you do action, it it's kind of more a thriller or a gangster movie, things like that. That is why I think we had such a hard time coming up with these movies. 
Yeah, and I was I was just about to say exactly the same thing that everything everything we've looked up is more thriller than action or more something with action tacked on or a full-on masala film where you're going to expect some action as well as as you know everything in the pot. And I will say that kind of takes us to what I hope will be our next episode which is a Sudesh Gobi and or Jayan focused episode. I would I would love that. I, I would really love that. But again, that's going to be the challenge of subtitles. Okay. Yeah. Even even for Suresh Gopi, I'm struggling with the subtitles. But but let's keep our fingers crossed. Okay. Fingers crossed that next episode we can talk about the heroes that are actually the action stars of uh, Malayalam films, Suresh Gopi and the late great Jan. Thanks for listening to the Poland and Empathy podcast. If you like what you're hearing, remember to come back for our next episode and share our podcast with your friends. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at polandidapati at gmail.com or reach out to us on our Twitter feed at polandidapati. See you next time.